Hi, John. How are you? Hi, Merlin. Merlin, man. I'll never get sick of it. You know what? I'm going to make a note, though. i got to work on this song thing. This is, this is getting out of hand. The problem with... Uh, have I expressed this already? The problem with hmm. that being your theme song is that the next line is, Don't mean a thing. All you Merlin mans don't mean a thing to me. But that's not true. You do mean something to me. And, and so it's, it's hard for me to sing that, even though it's, it's stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Because, because I can't, because the sentiment doesn't reflect my true feelings. Hmm. Part, part, part of you says Jermaine, uh, and another part says Tito. No, is that Nasty Boys? Is that what you're singing? Yeah, it's, a, it's Janet. There's a lot of controversy about this, John. People, I think Uh-oh. people have made the argument persuasively that you're actually singing something different. I don't want yeah, you're the musician. You're a professional musician. I'm not going to tell you what to do here. People have 10 ears. Uh, mm. you, all you have to do is hold up that, that, uh, that web app or that, that iPhone app up to the stereos to see how, how bad um, technology is at identifying songs. Tell you what, buddy, that has come a long way since that day you and I tried to... Uh, Find your songs. It's come a very long way. It has come a long way, but the pro- my problem is that the songs that I want to identify, I'm usually listening to in a crowded supermarket at really low volume, and I hold my phone up in the air to try and get the to try and get the audio. But they're clattering shopping carts yeah. and yelling kids, and the thing can't it can't sort the music out from them. What you know what it needs to do? It needs to use hearing aid technology. Hmm. Because I think they're perfecting hearing aids that can sort out the background noise and focus the attention of the device on the on the the interesting part. I read an article about this. They call it blasting the high mids, and it's it's oh. a, it's a huge move forward in the technology. Blasting the high mids. Mm-hmm. I can't hear anything anymore, John. I, yeah. I I've just no, even like my eyesight, my hearing, it's all going to hell. I'm going to need something too. like that iPhone app. Just to hold up so I can understand what kind of dressing they have at the restaurant. I I lay in bed at night and listen to the symphony of whistling and whining happening in my ears. And I'm alone in my house. It's not like it's some girl next to me whistling and whining. No, No. the sound of my own ears slowly disintegrating. Do you have the tinnitus? I never had it before. I I went to rock shows for 25 years. I never had a whistling in my ear. And then I went to a bachelor party of a friend of mine where we were firing AK 47s. Right. As you do. And you know, you, 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 you're, we're in this bunker of a firing range, cement walls, cement floor, cement ceiling. And, uh, everybody gets done shooting their guns and we all take our earphones off to sit and talk about how great the guns are. And then everyone gets back into firing position, and I have my earphone off on my right ear. I just forgot to put it back, and somebody shoots a bullet. And the the sound echoes around this concrete room and goes right into my ear. And I knew right then, like, oh, I have done permanent damage to myself. And sure enough, still now, two years later, are you? That was. I remember you talking about that. That was two years ago. Yeah, and I and I went. I went to an ear doctor, and he was like, "Oh," and he, he was one of these doctors with the bedside manner of a person that had been unfrozen from a glacier, <laughs> like he, like he had only just met modern humans today, and 
you know, and I'm asking him questions about like this matters to me. Like my ears are kind of my are part of my job. And are you whistling? What is that? Oh I, no, that's a that's, that's a, a siren. siren. I was oh. I'm sorry. I dashed away desperately <laughs> to try. I thought I could play it off legit. I thought John's still going to be talking about his hearing and run back. And I got totally clocked because yeah. there was a siren. And I you yeah. know, don't I don't like to edit this program. I'm extremely sorry that I did that. That was that was inappropriate. <laughs> no, that's hilarious. No, it's not. It's not. I I, I apologize. You know, it's I'm fun. very I'm very focused when I'm talking thought, to you. I thought you had gone to the other side of the room and whistled to try and test my hearing, hmm. which would have been a very clever move. That's pretty but good. See, I could I, hear it. Hmm. I could hear it. But yeah. in any case, this doctor was like, he was just a, he was a bad doctor. He was a bad doctor in putty colored <laughs> dockers. I'm sorry. I missed 30 seconds of this. What was your first indication <laughs> that this was a bad doctor? Uh, but, but he just had, he had no bedside manner. He, he you know, he looked every time you asked him, a every time I asked him a question, I don't know why I'm using the universal you. Every time I asked him a question, he acted like he had never been asked a question before. And like it was an imposition on him. <laughs> But in any case, he is he, is said, he an audiologist? You want to see? Yeah, he's a, a ear, nose, and throat. No, I guess he's not even a nose and throat. He just does the ears, and uh, and and he said, "Oh well, if you had come in to see me uh, within three days of the of a sustaining that injury, we could have done something about it." What a cock! Yeah, and I was did like, did he have oh, some fucking morning after pill for for noise? I think, I think they do. They have a morning after pill for hurt ears. They call it Plan E. But then the one hopeful thing, the one hopeful thing he said, he kind of like looked at me kind of confidentially after, because I was trying to warm him up, you know, with how you do with doctors Mm -hmm. when you meet him for the first time, there's that thing of like, oh, you're a doctor. And I, I used to be in awe of doctors before I had, before a lot of my high school friends became doctors. And I realized that any dingus can be a doctor, but you try and you know you try and warm him up like this guy's going to have his finger in my butt or I mean obviously not the ear doctor, but a doctor could put his finger in your butt. And you want he's, a, he's a doctor. I mean he's the you thing want him is to that's like you. well he's calling the shots. He, he's I think, calling the shots. I think but a anyway, lot of doctors he, could make the case that they probably need to fill your butt a little bit. He leans in kind of confidentially and he goes, "But just between you and me, you know, in the next couple of couple of years, I almost said in the next couple of years, <laughs> in the next couple of years." We're going to have a thing to fix this tinnitus. I can't say any more about it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And then he was like, say no more. And I, and, you know, like, don't reference it again. And I was like, really? Like, new technology? And he was like, mm-hmm. Did you, did, you book, did you book an appointment? We're very close. We're very close to a major breakthrough. <laughs> you should book an appointment for a couple of years from now. Check back in. Well, what was interesting to me was that this ear doctor at the Poly Clinic on Broadway in Seattle is somehow tapped into some, like, super... Super like deep in a mountainside lab ear doctors that are very close to making this major breakthrough. And I'm like, what, what did you just get back from a conference or something? How do you guys all like text each other? How do you know? I, I don't want to make this about World War II, John, but what if he's involved in some kind of, um, what would that be? Schwartz commandos? Schwartz commandos. Is that a Mel Brooks joke? No, I'm sorry. What, does ocular mean eye? Ocular means eye. Okay. What's the one for ears? Oral? Earcular. What if he's in an earcular uh, Manhattan project? Have you thought about that? He might be working with some of the great minds of Germany that he's, he's lulled over here. Um, he, he, somehow, he somehow attracted the Werner Herzogs of, uh, of, of eardrums 
to work on this. And he, maybe he can't say anymore because it would, you know, obviously you can be trusted with a secret because you were at one point almost in the special forces. Mm-hmm. I probably said too much. I don't like that though, John. I don't like that about doctors. I don't, I, I, I like the kind of doctors that are very down to earth and go, you know what? Uh, we don't fucking know about a lot of this stuff. <laughs> There's not, much we, there's not much we can do for you. You know, an explosion went off by your ear, and yeah. like from 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 the dawn of time until now, there's very little we can do about that because part of your ear just got blown up a little bit. This doctor that you're talking about is smoking Winston's while he's talking to you, right? <laughs> there's not much we can do. I think a lot no, of the problem is in your T zone. I, I put this I put this out there on the internet the other day. I was like, look, I'm looking for a doctor, and I want an old school doctor. I don't want I don't want a doctor who's going to tell me about Eastern medicine. I don't want a doctor who's going to tell me that I need to do aerobics. I want a doctor <laughs> who's just going to be like an old school doctor who smokes cigarettes and who talks to me like a, like a guy, right? And so I put this out there, and on my Facebook page, I get 30 replies from people like, oh, you should use my doctor. Doctor, you know, Dr. Brianna McPherson, she's amazing. And I'm like, you're not listening to me. I'm not going to a doctor named Brianna. She's going to tell me that I need to aerobicize. I want, I want a doctor. She's going to named... talk about your lifestyle. Yeah. I need a doctor named Herman. <laughs> Who comes in. The stethoscope is fucking freezing. You're naked. You're naked. There's not even a gown. Yeah. You're, just, you're just standing there naked while he smokes. That's not yeah. the kind of doctor you want. You want somebody who goes, you know what? There's no surgery for that yet. He's smoking, he has a really cold stethoscope, and mm-hmm. he has a pair of pliers in his back pocket. <laughs> and, and we sit and we talk about, you know, we talk for 45 minutes before he says, so what's the matter? Yeah. But anyway, so I, uh, I made a doctor's appointment, or actually I didn't make a doctor's appointment. Someone made a doctor's appointment for me, and I haven't been to the doctor in I don't know how long. I don't, I don't believe in doctors. Mm-hmm. I haven't gone to the doctor in a long time, but I but I uh, I was bitching about this, and uh, and um, a person close to me said, "You know what? I'm going to make you a doctor's appointment." And now I have one, hmm. so I have to go to the doctor. Is it nearby? Well, I mean, everything in Seattle is nearby, mm-hmm. but it's I mean, it's not nearby because in my neighborhood there are no facilities. I live in a neighborhood with no facilities. No, you don't even have, like a free clinic. I guess they they just built a free clinic down the street, which really angered me because it was on this it was on a lot that could have been a nice cafe, mm-hmm. and they built a medical facility for poor people. And I, I as if there aren't enough of those, right? Right? Is that the kind? Is that really the kind of thing we want to encourage? There should have been. There should be. There are no cafes down here, and there are like there are all kinds of medical clinics and veterinarians and stuff. Can I ask you a question? You think, you think those people are actually getting their health is actually improving? Cause I'm going to guess probably not. You could build as many clinics as you want. Well, you know what you could do? Carbon offsets. You say for every one of these clinics, mm. you've also got to build like a, like a cafe, a nice cafe, not mm-hmm. like some kind of squirted together cafe. It was a Korean guy. Like I, I want a nice cafe right. with real coffee. I want, I want angry ladies mm-hmm. with tattoos. Exactly. Is mm-hmm. that too much to ask? Especially I don't think that's too much to ask. I think the that's... thing is, all the all the tattoo uh, coffee shops are all up in the neighborhood where uh, there are no brown people, and I live mm-hmm. down with the brown people, and they, you know, nobody serves services them with good coffee. Do you miss Do you miss the Capitol Hill experience? No, it's irrelevant to me now. I go up there and I walk around and I feel like I'm in a Lady Gaga video. <laughs> And I, I, I don't. Uh, That's just the men. I can't. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I cannot identify. All I can identify are. I mean, I look around at the kids and I see all of the 
I see all of the ways in which the men have ripped off my fashion sense. <sighs> it's so galling. And the girls have all ripped off uh, the fashion senses of all the girls I was dating 10 years ago. It's really annoying. With a little bit of editing, that could be a hit Willie Nelson song. <laughs> you know, here's the problem with diversity, John. The problem with diversity is oh, it, it so always benefits... Oh, brother. There's so many, there's so many problems with diversity. I, I, yeah. You know what? I don't want to go ping pong. I'm going to skip the whole cafe problem. That's mm-hmm. a black box. We'll come back to that at another time. Oh, racial. I, mm-hmm. I don't want... Well, I don't know. I didn't black say box. anything, did I? Oh, said black dear. Box. That's a lady thing, too, isn't it? <laughs> I just said something Double, about... Now, now, now you're oh, a misogynist. Oh, man. You know, I don't... Diversity. <laughs> diversity. You know what? We shouldn't even open that box, if you know what I mean. When I was in fifth grade... Yeah, don't open the black box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was in fifth grade... Not without a strong cup of coffee. <laughs> when I was in fifth grade, my reading book was called Serendipity. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. This, is, this is different. Now, what were your, your two books? Is that right? Yeah. Serendipity and Diversity. Okay, right. Serendipity and Diversity. Okay. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Fifth and sixth grade, Serendipity and Diversity. Uh, some some listeners have told us that they had those same books. I've, I've heard I, that. Yeah. I, I did not realize that diversity was going to be such a problem later. Yeah. It it's, really, one, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things like auto insurance. Like, it seems like a good idea. You know? To you, maybe. Yeah. But I feel I feel like when I run for president, my platform will be no more nanny state mandatory auto insurance. Hmm. Hmm. Because oh, there's a lot of forced insurance going because on. Because of Obamacare. But I know. <laughs> but I say, say Obamacare. But I know you don't want to talk about politics. <laughs> well, I'm not going. I'm not going to talk about the Tea Party. So I, I yeah. like. I like though that you're 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 talking about all these things that I assume people on Fox News talk about. I like they're coming up with these portmanteaus, and you mm. know what? Those are very sticky. You can have a sticky portmanteau by just just smashing a couple things together. You know, mm-hmm. like. Um, just let's see. What's a, what's a couple good like ones? Like a new business name, like misogyn like, Nazi. I've never heard that before. That was good. I just coined it. Yeah, um, uh, but that, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll see that on Fox News in in two months. What about a diverse sexual? Diverse sexual. Mm-hmm. Or hmm. a. Uh, uh, I was uh, thinking about that this morning. Actually, yeah. the diverse sexuality, mm-hmm. because um, you know the, it's a, it's this common trope that. If you if you let the gays marry, if you let the gays out of the stables, uh, then uh, everybody's gonna uh, all the all the like the young boys who are on the fence, oh, the, the young men who are on the fence. That, that that argument makes me so angry. They're gonna see that the gay lifestyle is so. They're gonna recruit uh, them. They're gonna recruit them yeah, like they're, they're out there them. getting Hitler Youth. They're playing a tube right. and banging on a drum, and suddenly everybody wants a uniform. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that's how it works, John Roderick. Well, let me let me tell you from from personal experience. When I was a young man in my early 20s and I moved to Seattle, it was during the, it was during the big explosion of the gay rights time, the gay rights movement, right? The, um, the uh, uh, we're out and we're proud. And when, I think when I arrived in Seattle, 1990, it was, just, it was just at the beginning. You know, there was still a very vibrant underground gay culture. And then gay uh, culture went, went mainstream and it happened very fast and I was living right in the middle of it as a young person surrounded by other young people and being gay seemed very exciting Hmm. the gays had a good sense of humor they were they were chic they seemed to be they they felt newly liberated light-hearted intellectual good shoes yeah I wanted to feel newly liberated I too had been living in a closet of a kind 
a closet of of unacceptability, unacceptableness. Mm-hmm. I wanted to feel liberated. Where's my parade? That's right. Where's my parade? Where's my where's, where's my, my float? Rights? Where's my float that I get to wear dolphin shorts on? Where's my where's my uh, World War One aficionado parade? Yeah. Where's my so, where's my throbbing? It's raining men loop. So I went to a lot of parties with my gay friends, and I tried out the gay lifestyle. I've, this was not the one-time shot with that big black buck of yours. This was a, this is an ongoing this is an ongoing human experiment that you were participating in willfully, knowingly. You were trying something on. Correct. Hmm. For a couple of years there, I would make out with boys when the opportunity presented itself, which it frequently did. And uh, and I really said, you know, let's try that. Let's what what about bisexual? Let's try bisexual. Let's see what that. Let's see how that feels. And um, I really feel like uh, if if it were if it were possible for a person to change their sexual orientation by exerting the their will, if it were possible for a person to choose, let me let me simplify that by using the word choose. If it were possible to choose your sexual orientation, I think I would have chosen to have a. In fact, I tried to choose to have a more uh, open sexual orientation than it turns out I ended up with. Mm-hmm. And in the final accounting, I realized that I was 10% bisexual. Not enough to sustain a bisexual relationship. Does, does that, is it reductive to say that makes you 5% gay? Or how, how does that break down in a pie graph? Mm, I would say... You found the bisexual thing to be, you weren't on the bubble. I'd you were right you were square gay. in the middle. What? You're ten, yeah. Huh. Huh. I'd say ten percent gay. I mean, huh. if you're going to say bisexual, yeah, I, no, I was. Let's say I was twenty percent bisexual, ten percent gay. Okay. But uh, but uh, when I when I read this, all this like hyperbole about oh, if if we if we legalize gay marriage, then oh, it's just the beginning of this slippery slope where pretty soon it's just going to be frotage in elevators and. Uh, and oh, it's like the, I mean the, the the argument these people dogs make and is cats that sleeping together, dogs and cats living together. It's it's, it's going to be it's like we're one step away. Oh, John, it's not it. possible, it's John. Not possible. I'm going to share a very fast. I don't want to take you off your your rail here, but I want to I want a very fast anecdote. I'm visiting my mom a few years ago. My mom, you know, she's really serious. You know, she carries a gun and stuff, and mm-hmm. and not in a she's good from way. Florida. Mm, yep, 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 yep. And so a friend of hers. Uh, who you know uh, has been like a f- almost like a family member since childhood. Um, she's like, and she's from like the Bay Area originally. She's from Uh-oh. like the East Bay, no, from like the East Bay, oh, and okay. uh, but not like Oakland, but like you know the the white people like way out in the east. And sure. she, um, and she's kind of county. No, no, that's that's north. Uh, but she's picking. She's kind of picking a, a thing with me, and I can already feel she's picking a thing with me. Like, oh, <laughs> San Francisco, and I go, yeah, 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 it's pretty great there. You know, it's expensive, and yeah, but it's nice. There's lots to do, and she's uh, she's implying because she's, of your, you, you can feel it. You know, because of your lispy, swishy ways. I don't think it's. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's even me. It's just more like watching an old man try to punch somebody who's not even there. Like she, <laughs> she's got. She's getting ready to swing, and uh-huh. like there's nothing to really hit. And I'm not taking the bait. And this is your mom's friend. She is my mom's friend, and I'm buttonholed. Like I'm stuck by her, like in a bar. I can't get out. I'm stuck. You're buttonholed. You're stuck by her in a bar. You ever been buttonholed? Mm. You ever been buttonholed at a party? I tried. You've never been seated next to somebody 90s. where you wanted to literally kill yourself at dinner? dinner. You've never I tried had to that? get buttonholed in my seat. That's but in the early 90s, right? Hey, 
Just, just I, also, I want something I want you in to think In any case, of. so what did you I do? I want you to you? just think about one concept while I'm working on this, vogue, voguing. I think voguing is what happened in, in Seattle. I'm going to continue. Oh. Voguing. It was huge. And so and so, so she's, she's needling me now, and I'm not really taking the bait. And, and I, I, I go straight into the story that I believe in mm-hmm. my heart is part of what makes San Francisco. And San Francisco is such a stupid fucking town in so many ways. But I will tell you one thing I genuinely love about San Francisco. is that it, it was like the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the island of misfit toys. <laughs> we never got to this in one of our previous World War II discussions, but you know yeah. what made one Wait thing... Was there an island of misfit toys in World War II? I think you're thinking of Rankin Bass. Here's uh, what happened. Okay, if you got... If you got th- this is, you're, don't steal my job. My job is to derail. Your job <laughs> is to talk about the cold war. Where I, <laughs> I'm going to be interrupting Cal this episode. <laughs> That's right, bikes. I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> And I believe this. Okay, so first of all, just to go a little bit back in the stack, I don't know if this is precisely accurate, but it's my understanding that in World War II, if you got thrown out of the armed forces in the Pacific Theater for being gay, Mm. guess where they dropped you off? Bikini Atoll. Very close. Another place that's the bomb. The port of San Francisco. So if Uh you were somebody who got kicked out for like... the gay San Francisco started in World War II because no, they this dumped is all one, the gays See, this is, one, this is one arc. There's another arc, which is, of course, like the beats and stuff, but this all, you know, there's a synergy to all the of this stuff happening. And one of them is there's a whole bunch of people. Think about that, though. Think about the self-selection of that. Like, mm-hmm. you were a gay dude in the, in the fucking Navy, Army, whatever, who acted upon it. Like, you were ready to, like, risk that. Sure. You get thrown out. And you're like, holy fucking shit, there's all these other dudes here who wanted the same thing? Yes, hooray! Exactly. And that's, it's, like a, it's like you're Snake Plissken, but right. instead of being dropped into a New York City prison camp... It's all, it's all shiny guys. You're dropped into a, 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 a hilltop city surrounded mm-hmm. by water. And Donald Plessence wants to suck your dick. Oh my, my God. point is you land and i think first of all that's part a i think that's glorious i think it's amazing if you're somebody who has trouble understanding how you fit into the world and who you are to land in an environment where suddenly you're not the, the, the only like quote-unquote fucked up person mm-hmm. and and I, i'm trying to make this case to her and saying hey look you know castro street in in 1976 or it was it was just you have no oh, wait, idea you engaged this woman in conversation i'm, trying, about to, I'm trying to make a case to her that that she's saying the gay marriage should not happen san francisco she's implying I know she's saying gay marriage should never happen. Right. And she's saying that basically San Francisco is like this Petri dish for wrong. And anyway, I made the same case to her Petri that I made to my mom. Like she would see two guys kissing and get super uncomfortable. And I was like, imagine you spent your entire life feeling like you were the only person in the world who was really screwed up about something. And then you found a million other people or, you know, whatever, 100,000 people who felt the same way. You, it becomes your family, right? And like, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, you've got kids. Wouldn't you love it if your kids felt out of place their whole life and they finally found somebody that understood them? And no, she's like, not if your kids were kissing some other other person of the same sex. Well, close. She said. Well, That's the problem. Terrible. She said the problem is if we allow gay marriage, people will also be allo- allowed to uh, marry their dogs. Sure, man on dog. Man on dog. I was dumbstruck. Because mm-hmm. I, I always thought that was one of those make-believe, like, hillbilly things people said. This is an educated woman who is a successful professional who yeah. thinks that gay people fuck children and dogs. Well, if you read your history, yeah. you will... You, uh, this is before World War II? This is before World War II. The, the once mm-hmm. great nation of Slobovia, which, uh, <laughs> which legalized man-on-dog marriage, right. and it spelled the end of their civilization. <laughs> this happened, this is sort of like between the Etruscans... And the Assyrians, the Slobovians, 
were a great seafaring people. And, uh, and, <laughs> and all dogs had, and semen. Well, there was considerable semen and, and, uh, they, you know, they were great dog breeders and there was, there was semen abroad. And there were a lot of, a lot of people who felt like their dogs were refined, uh, of character and mm-hmm. uh, noble of temperament and that they would make fine spouses, partners, uh, part life partners. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they would spell the the doom of their civilization. Yeah, so that sounds I mean, like a little, little bit of an outlier. Your mom and uh, a lot of the conservatives have uh, have a valid point if you if you believe that history speaks to our present condition. There, there's just there's so many things. And I don't like politics, but this is not politics. This is life and culture, and it's mm. important. Oh, and life and culture is the section of the newspaper that you turn to immediately. Well, sure, I would like to see what Karl Lagerfeld's showing. Right. Right. I, I'm, I'm just I, saying I like, that, like, if you, it's one thing, it's one thing to be talking about policy and politics, and it's another thing to talk about like somebody's ability to just live like a like a normal human being. And the problem is, she does not think that's a normal human being. No. And, and as much as I didn't want to take the bait, I finally just got unbuttonholed and had to walk away because, like, I, I, you know, well, see, this is exactly well, you and I had an, an, an argument a couple of years ago where I said that I don't believe that Christians or religious people of any stripe should drink alcohol. Was, that, was you, I drunk when we talked about this? And you argued, <laughs> you argued that I was being ridiculous, and that Christians you're going to have to get a, a lot more specific. Of course, should be able to drink alcohol. And I said, no, I don't think so. I don't oh, think. Oh, I remember people, this because of the religious experience thing. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that religious people should drink alcohol or take drugs or uh, or commit adultery or do any bad things because it because they have they have eternal reward in heaven to look forward to, whereas. The rest of us who are going to spend eternity in torment, the only fun that we get is here on earth, doing, you know, finger banging each other. Mm-hmm. And if the Christians are in here also like sopping up all the gravy with their buns, <laughs> that it's all that much less gravy for me and the rest of the secular humanists who Ugh. are doomed to uh, eternity in, in the pit of fire. So personally, I feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like religious people should be if they can't if they cannot handle the responsibility of living in cities while maintaining their sort of separatist i you know their separatist identity mm-hmm. then i think that they should be corralled into camps mm-hmm. nice because, ones nice camps because this well they can be they, the camps can be made to be nice mm-hmm. separate but equal let's just say all of oklahoma Hmm. We could put it. We could put some fencing. It can be attractive fencing. I'm not saying it has to be cyclone wire. Oh, but I like, feel <clears throat> it's kind of like a Marcus Garvey type situation. They want to be together. Let's get them all. Let's get them all together. Exactly. Okay. The thing is, I don't understand why religious people want to live in cities. Cities are vibrant places oh, where people stick things in each other and yell at each other. And there's there are there are all kinds of people smoke marijuana. There are all kinds of things that happen in cities. I don't understand why religious people even want to be here. I feel like they they probably don't and that they are here just because they were born here or their parents moved them here and where they really want to be is in a bucolic place somewhere where they can't be they can't be injured by offensive speech or by seeing men kiss or whatever it is that's hurting their feelings and that they, that, that that place could be maybe the the entirety of Kansas 
Nebraska. Well, that's not mince words. You're, you want to put everyone Arkansas. in Utah. You want to take Utah and convert it to a full crazy, crazy religious well, state. Is that the, the idea? Utah. Here's the problem. I, I would Utah. like to respond also. Please continue. All right. Here's the problem with Utah. Right mm-hmm. in the middle of Utah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a range of mountains called the Rocky Mountains. And unfortunately, if you look at Utah on a map, it seems plenty big enough to hold all the religious people. But unfortunately, everything west of the Rocky Mountains is an uninhabitable wasteland. So all the religious people would have to live up in the mountains and on this high kind of rocky plain. And I understand completely that religious people would potentially want maybe some warm climate or some green, green pastures. Mm-hmm. So I can't confine them to Utah. It has to be, it has to be geographically more diverse. There's that word again, mm-hmm. diversity. But I feel like some, some geographical diversity is, in, is important for people. Maybe a little beach. We could have a. We could have like Galveston. That could be their beach. I don't know. This is uh, this is still pie in the sky stuff. But I but I don't understand why a religious person would want to live in Seattle, oh, San Francisco God. city. I really don't. I can tell this you places, didn't graduate from college, John. That you are capable of so much of a better argument than that. That is the that has got to be one of the nine to sixteen weakest arguments I've ever heard you make. What are you talking about? That doesn't make a lick. That is that is that is. Do you understand how bananas close to a religious insanity? That argument is. I know. I know you're being exaggerating, but no. you don't really believe that about people of faith. People of faith. Well, you, well, you use this word religious, so you're you're tying in like you know what uh, you know Coptic Christians with like you know UFO cults. Like what? Yes. Uh, anybody? Anybody yes, who has any faith in something? No, sw- no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. You're not, you're saying. See, I think you should. I I think you need to separate the people who are that, nut I jobs. The people in Narcotics Anonymous are entitled to have a power greater than themselves uh-huh. and still live in cities. Hmm. Hmm. We should avoid this. Did, did, can I ask you a question? I'm, I'm, yeah. You know what? I'm just going to put a stake in the ground here. This is going to have to be another episode. I, I, I can't even begin to take apart all the ways that you are so incredibly wrong about right. so much of that. Apart from wanting to people, put people in a bad state. There's a lot of people I would like to put in a bad state. We should talk about that. Are you calling Oklahoma a bad state? I don't know. The wind comes sweeping down the plane. Is that still the case? There are plenty of nice things in Oklahoma. Do you have a sense of how uh, how high the corn is? Although I never eat sushi there. How high is the corn there? Do you have any sense of that? The corn is above your head. I'd say you're not a musical guy, are you? Uh, you're you're, You're trying to quote from the musical Oklahoma. Which brings me back to my question, which is, were you regarded by the legitimate homosexuals as something of a carpetbagger? Pardon my, pardon my French. Were you seen as a carpetbagger? You come in, you come in, you hang out a little bit with your musky masculine mm -hmm. and your, and your like vintage glasses collection and, and you're in there making out with people. You're taking pieces off the table, so to speak. Were you Mm -hmm. seen as a carpetbagger, John Roderick? I think that the, I think that the legitimately well-adjusted young homosexuals of Seattle we're not interested in pursuing a brief relationship with me, but the number of young, well-adjusted, emotionally well-adjusted gays in Seattle in 1992 was a fraction of the population of the homosexual uh, community. Hmm. Most of the young homosexuals were also confused, and frankly, also their sexuality was on a continuum. Right? There were some who were more inclined to. Uh, make out with straight boys. There were some who were more inclined to sort of be right on the fence. Also, this is the problem with vegetarianism too. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were vegetarian, 
Like you, let's, let's go back. Let's go back. Uh, you look at uh-huh. something like The Boys in the Band, which now as a movie seems like something from another planet because it's so broad. You ever see that in the movie or the play? I did. It's, I, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. My, my mother-in-law actually directed that uh, as really? a play one time. Yeah, There's she directed a, a bunch of plays. There's a lot of mincing around in that. There's a lot of mincing, and it's almost like an allegory. It's almost like something Rod Sterling was like, with, Although, right, with like that, that, here's uh, the seven uh, kinds of homosexuals arguing it, in, a, in an apartment. As late as the <laughs> early 90s, I think that was still more or less representative of how... Well, you, you know, got to take it like for the time, you know, right. there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that happened in the sixties where you would look back and go, Oh wow. That's still, that seems pretty casually racist in retrospect, but you go, wow, it's pretty amazing that like, you know, you look at something like in the heat of the night. I mean, it's incredible that that movie got made in some ways. It's so good. And Sidney Poitier is so obviously the smartest person in the movie. And I think at the time, a lot of gay guys, that's a kind of racism too. Nah, well, not at the time, not, well, not, not compared time. to hanging somebody from a tree. I mean, that's a pretty Correct. long way to have Hollywood putting the good-looking guy as the lead. Bill Cosby on Man from Uncle, what have you. Right. Again, Hollywood, imperfect, but Hollywood, steps. Hollywood, to their credit, didn't really lynch a lot of people. Well, then you never know. How many did you find out about? Here's the problem. True. Here's True. the problem, though. Uh, so you take something like Boys in the Band, and like I think if you were a... a most probably most uh, most people I'm guessing this other were closeted. You know, I mean, it was not cool to be out of the closet unless you know, except in very specific situations in very specific cities. I bet it's you only saw recently that. Been cool. That's right. But I bet you saw that movie, and for the first time, you saw yourself on screen. Yeah, maybe mincing, but you weren't just like the Clifton Webb character or something. When you say you, you're talking about me. If I were gay, I don't know. I don't know. I could go either way. Oh, really? You and me both for a while. I've lost my point again. You know the the fact is I, I can't. Still I, I, I don't understand this episode, John. I don't. I don't you're, I'm, I'm completely at odds. Have you been drinking a lot of coffee? Uh, no, I quit caffeine. Since Maybe that's all, it. brother. When I quit caffeine on New Year's Day, huh? I haven't had any caffeine since New Year's. And you're Day. still not sleeping? No, I sleep like a baby. <sighs> but I, but I, but the reason I want to go to the doctor is I'm walking around in a fog all the time. I don't have any. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm foggy. I'm always foggy. <laughs> I've been feeling a little foggy. Um, I'm feeling foggy. Oh, but here's yeah. the thing about yeah. here's the thing about being gay. If the right young man approached me after a show, mm-hmm. I have a, I, I have to say that really, if he smelled right, <laughs> there's a lot of smell in, involved. <laughs> if he smelled right, I think I might still give it a go. But he has Do you to worry see about it? your culpability in that working out because he might feel the same way? Maybe, maybe that that particular way that you smell could be "quote unquote" right to him. Are you saying that's a possibility? Could be, could be. I mean, I've smelled right to people before. Man, but here's the thing: I'm I no longer I'm I'm no longer in the business of uh, worrying about other people's uh, culpability. Mm-hmm. They got to look out for, for themselves. I, yeah. I think that's terrific. I think they gotta it's look terrific. Out for themselves. When they when they come up against me, when they meet me in a dark alley, when mm-hmm. they come up to uh, up to me in the in the high corn, mm. you know they'd better uh, they'd better be they better have their A game because I'm not going to hold their hand. No, hmm. 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 I only like four or five musicals a lot, but not a, not I, there aren't many. I, it's like poetry. The, it's like poems. It's like poems. I thought I liked poetry with like a you know the the range of poetry, and yeah. it's like it's like folk music. Or, like five poems or reggae or musicals where like it turns out i like well no i mean i'll say there are like five poets maybe that i like not just but in contrast poems. you, know. you celebrate the entire jerry lewis catalog 
that's not accurate. But I'm I'm not going to sit there and like spend an evening reading Gary Snyder or something. Right. No, no, no offense. The no, no, no. Chess turtles are very nice, but right. And so that's the problem. And this is this is this is part of the problem. We get tell musicals. Me where, tell me what of the Jerry Lewis stuff you don't like. This. <laughs> Do you really want to get into this now? <laughs> I wish you wouldn't change the topic. I've, I've, I'm, li- I'm right. limiting myself to four cards. I, w- I want to talk more about uh, the Sorry, doctors. I, just, I, felt, I felt like from the very beginning that, that we had switched roles. This is and I was n- kind of reveling in this. This is Merlin not and, difficult. I, and, this is not difficult to understand at a high level. Jerry Lewis is fascinating. Yes. Because. Oh, my goodness. Because even if you're not being reductive, he is full of so many paradoxes. And and so many like unresolvable, just warring sides to his the personality. Day the, clown cried. the day the clown cried is Have a terrific example. It? It, I don't think it. I mean, I've seen like the script. Patton Oswald claims to have seen it. Yeah, I mean that's like a yeti. A lot of people claim to have seen it. I know Harry Shearer had a copy of the script. I, I I've seen bits from the script, and it's um, staggering. How many pages? It's like three hundred pages. I mean, it's a very very long movie. For those for those in our audience uh, in the minority who don't know what this is, uh, you're going to explain. You're going to explain the day the crown, clown cried. It's. It, I'll keep it short. I mean, the, the background people is could, people could Wikipedia it, except that yeah. Wikipedia is, is closed. I'm begging you not to get me started on that. The okay. um, here's the thing. Jerry Lewis uh, decided to do a movie uh, where he plays a a clown in I believe Poland. I want to say named Helmut Dwork. Helmut Dwork is a clown. Helmut he Dwork. makes fun. He makes fun of the Nazis. They put him in a death camp, and yeah. it becomes his job to do clown stuff to make children go into the gas chamber. Right. So that's the Jerry Lewis movie, and he had trouble getting it made, apparently. He had to go to, I want to say, Sweden. Inconceivable. I, I don't have the number in front of me, but, I, you know, it's one minute per page, generally, in a script. Hundreds of pages. Hun- I, something, something, it's a really, it would be a real, it's a really fucking long movie. I don't think it was completed. But, but, it did, but he did draw attention to one of the little known fa- uh, facets of the Holocaust, you know, you know about the gypsies, and you know about, obviously, the Jews and That's the homosexuals. Right. Who speaks for the clowns? Who speaks for the clowns? That's right. No. I, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything when they came to the clowns for the clowns because I wasn't a clown. Right. And then uh, when they came for me, there was no one left to... Uh, to... Shoot them with seltzer. That's right. Or to honk their red nose. You know the nice thing, though? I mean, you'd be amazed how many of those clowns you can actually fit into a gas chamber. <laughs> so my point is, here's the thing about Jerry Lewis. <laughs> If you go out, if you go out and search for this, if you go out and search for the Data Clown Cry, you will find production skills, uh, production uh, stills. Still, I've it, seen them. And you will see pictures of, of uh, they're absolutely horrifying. Yeah. And because it's Jerry Lewis in shitty clown makeup wearing the, like, Auschwitz striped outfits. Mm-hmm. And Here's what happens when a person no longer has people around him who can tell him no. This is the George Lucas problem. And mm-hmm. here's the thing about Jerry Lewis, and then I'd like to move on because this is not that interesting, is that, mm. is that he is full of these kinds of... Nobody can dispute the amount of great things that he did for the Muscular Dystrophy Association in the sense that he brought in a ton of money, and in a, to use a phrase that is virtually meaningless today, he raised a huge amount of awareness about a disease that was very unknown in the Although early Although I still don't 50s. know what muscular dystrophy is. And I watched that telethon mm-hmm. for 10 years, probably. You I mean, know why? You know why? Because you, there were the parts where, where they'd make you cry, and they talk about uh, whatever, Duchesne, something, something. Right. But mostly, you remember him... Come out and <laughs> mostly, little... you remember him acting like he was retarded, mm-hmm. and talking about his kids, 
and bringing up grown men in wheelchairs and trying to make them cry on stage, thereby bringing all of these people into his twisted universe mm. where, where he could at once... I don't, you, remember, you might remember the one a few years ago where he joined in with the chorus and was like doing the whole like mouth-along <laughs> thing. And, and Let like me make, stop you right there. I have not watched a Jerry Lewis telethon since 1978. And you, so call, yourself, and you the, call yourself I, bisexual. I don't remember the one from a couple of years ago. I wasn't even aware they still happened. Well, but I you definitely know, they, remember, he, he got drummed out this last year. I remember they, they sitting in a, uh, I was in a in a beach cabin in uh, on Maui with a man. Were you with a man or by no, yourself? This, well, I was with my father. If that's what you're employing. <laughs> in 1978, at that point, I was just experimenting with my relatives who were politicians, and it, and it was beautiful out. It was beautiful. The waves were crashing on the beach. It was a beautiful, sunny Hawaii day, and uh, we were inside watching the Jerry Lewis Telethon because it was not something that you missed. It was a cultural. It was like an after-school special. It was like a, it was like a Marlon Perkins. Oh, it was. It was. Uh, it was there was no question. I mean, you, it you, happened once a year. You watched that's right. it. That's right. Yeah. And and did, did your father enjoy that? Did you guys stay up late to watch the stars come out? Oh, What'd you do? my dad didn't watch it. My dad was a was an old enough person to know that this was dumb. But did I, he have something I, against Sammy Davis Jr.? I think my dad loved Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, my dad was that that same generation. So he's uh, a very very talented man. You know, he has one eye. Sammy, yeah. Sammy. He's yeah. He's racing cars and he lost an eye. One eye, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's one eye, one eyed African American. That's right. That's right. And married a Swedish girl who was much taller than he was. She was handsome. That was a good looking lady. She was an attractive lady. She was super cute. Those guys really boy, they must have had a time. Yeah. Well, if you read the biography, the Sean Levy biography, which I'm sure you will now, called King of Comedy, uh, you, you will realize what a tortured individual he is. I'm not going to go on about this. I'm going to start a separate podcast with, uh, with Goldie, and we'll be able to talk about all of this. Okay. I look forward to that. I don't to get to talk to her as much as I like carpet bagging, tea bagging. Uh, n- you know what? Here's the thing. Also, you know what? What do you want to talk about? Because I, I, I got a card. I got a card. Oh, we could go back to Schwartz Commando. That means white? No. Black. What's white? Vice. Vice. Schwartz Commando. You never read Gravity's Rainbow. That's Pension. Yeah. Hmm. I think I read The Crying of uh, Area 51. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a good place to start and end with this. I want to talk, about, I, I I talk remember, about James Joyce. We don't have to do it right now. When I was a very young man, I walked into a bookstore. James Joyce. And there was a man behind the counter who looked like a bookstore employee. He was a heavyset gentleman. Did you blow, it? Not Did you blow him? And uh, he had a red, he had long red hair and a red beard which he had kind of shaved down his cheeks. And he was wearing a sweater under a tweed jacket. And he probably had a pipe in the pocket of his Mackinac. And I said... <laughs> Sounds like old spice porn. <laughs> I walked in and said, walked up to the counter and said, Look, I, uh, I got some time to kill. What's your favorite book? I want to know your favorite book. And he lights up his his formerly like pinched bookstore employee cynical face lit up and he went, oh, gravity's rainbow. And he comes out from behind the counter and he walks me back into the, you know, to the peas and he pulls gravity's rainbow off the shelf and he goes, you have to read it. It's the greatest book ever written. And uh, he, he sells it to me for half price because he really wants me to, you know, I only had a dollar or something. He really, really wants me to read this book. And over the course of the next two years, I tried to read Gravity's Rainbow. <laughs> At one point, I, I had, like, f- I was reading the book in four different places. I had bookmarks in four different places in the book. And I was, 
I would sit down and pick up the book at I a could, different I couldn't finish it. I could not finish it. And keep reading. And I read this book, and I read this book, and I never made it past about page 500. And I just kept reading it, and I would pick it, and I'd put it down. I'd read other stuff, obviously, and then that it'd be sitting there on the bookshelf throbbing this dull red glow. <laughs> you haven't finished me. You aren't smart. You can't read. And finally, one summer, I was like, you bastard. I'm going to read the fuck out of you. And I sat down and I, it was like, it was like when I, the time I read the Iliad all the way through, I was like, you are going to sit here and you're going to read this fucking book. And I read the goddamn gravity's rainbow all the way through. And when I was done, when I was done, oh, I, 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 I'm good. I was going to say I threw it out the window, but I didn't. It's sitting on the bookshelf now. I'm looking at it as I speak, but it no longer throbs. Well, how'd you, how'd you I, I, feel when it was done? Did you feel like a sense of accomplishment, or were you just were you winded? Well, here's what happens in this book. At page seven hundred and fifty, it's that long. It, it's it's long. Oh wait, you know what? I may, I may be confusing with crying a lot. Forty nine. Sorry. Well, crying a lot. Forty nine is a short book. Well, that, but, that's the that's the J. Alfred Prufrock uh, to the wasteland, right? It's it's much more uh, you know uh, Dubliners kind of way in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. the way in, but uh, but. At about at about page seven hundred fifty or whatever, I don't I don't remember how many pages it has, but all the way back after it's like you've already read five books that don't make any sense at all. It the story starts to come together, and you're like, oh wait, I know what he's talking about now. Finally, after seven hundred pages of reading hmm. gibberish, I know what he is referring to now, and and now I am getting it. And then the last little bit of the story. It's like a fun adventure story where you're like, "Hooray! I'm glad to oh, have read it." You get a little, you get a little dessert at the end. It's like, it's like it. You have to suffer. You have to basically read the Simmerillion, and then at the end, <laughs> you get a little Hobbit. You get a little Hobbit. <laughs> I um, I started a new card, and I can't decide if you're up, if you're up for a lightning round. I thought we could do a lightning round. Oh, also, I, I want to talk a little bit about something. Not, not today, but I'll, in the future, I'd like to talk about uh, whether people confuse Tom of Finland with Tom's of Maine. Because I, I think both oh, of things... Oh, think sh- that happens? If well, you, if I, you I, like, I'm looking for some Tom's of Maine tooth whitener, mm-hmm. and you confuse it with Tom of Finland. Depends what story you're in, I'll bet. I bet, I bet some stories are used to either one of those going wrong. You could solve that if you got a big gay sex store by just having some toothpaste in there, and you got to make everybody happy. You ever use that toothpaste? It's pretty gross. Tom of Finland? I bet it is gross. Well, it depends. Ten percent like it. Like calamine lotion. I remember when I first switched to the baking soda toothpaste. Can I tell you some John Roderick? It was not until last year I thought Crest and Colgate were were essentially interchangeable, Mm. and now. I cannot have Crest in my mouth. It is wow. so disgusting to me. All no I can either. have is how could I go forty four years without knowing the difference between Crest and Colgate? I thought it was a meaningless, a meaningless brand uh, difference. Right? Isn't you know that what weird? I do? Isn't I, that I, take I, a, I take a cup of uh, hydrogen peroxide and switch it around my mouth for a minute. Do you have to do special stuff with your uh, with your teeth? Do you have to do like any kind of special cleaning stuff with your make believe teeth? The the number the number of uh, pages I have somewhere in this house uh, detailing all the special stuff I have to do with my teeth for real. Uh, it's like gravity's rainbow. It's it's a bridge. But, you have a bridge? No, I don't have a bridge. I have a there's a tooth where where my missing tooth is. Mm-hmm. There is a tooth, and it's basically soldered in place. <laughs> oh, it's held God. into place by a combination of braces, glue, wheat paste. <laughs> Uh, sawdust, horsehair, uh, guitar string, and it just it just hovers there. They it call it, they there. Call it a Diodario bridge. 
<laughs> it just hovers there. And uh, I'm, I can't, this is why I can't get a big pastrami sandwich anymore hmm. because my, my front tooth, my main pastrami incisor is, uh, <laughs> is not functional. Just, it's just a facade. Um, <clears throat> I am writing this on one of my uh, actual cards I'm going to keep nearby. I, I, if and when you're comfortable about it, we don't have time today. I would like to talk about the uh, the teeth and how they got there. Mean? Oh yeah, that's no, a long story. No, I know, I know, I know. Mean pastrami incisor is that right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom of Finland. Okay, all right. <clears throat> now, I was he- never, you know, the Tom of Finland stuff. Here's the problem with uh, th- this is what <laughs> here's this the is problem where, with Tom of Finland. This is where I realized that what, whatever uh, whatever on the gay scale I was, it was very uh, straight. That's super gay. Is that I, that masculine men? I don't find attractive at all. What about bears? No, no, no. no. You don't like a bear. They find, they find me attractive at a distance. I love bears. Uh, the friends of mine. I, okay. I have a couple I friends that are bears or bear chasey guys. Yeah. And and the, I got to say, of 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 the the different uh, you know self identifying groups, mm-hmm. easily one of my favorites. Those are some go along get along guys who will who will drink a dudes. beer. Super. I'm, I don't I don't know like I don't know thousands of, of gay people, but uh, among my friends who are gay, I think I think the bears are pound for pound the most fun. Well, pound for pound. Pound for pound. Here's the thing about the bears. You if love I was beards. having a really bad day, if yeah. I was having like if I if I really needed to cry, which ne- which which the last time it happened it was nineteen eighty four. But if I really needed to cry and I had Whoa. a big bear friend that I could just go lay my head on his fuzzy chest and really really like have a good cry, yeah. that's that's the one type of person in the world that is big enough and furry enough and comforting enough that right. I could actually lean on them. As opposed to always being the one that people lean on. You go with one of those shiny gym rats. That's all. That's all. All veiny. Well, see, looking. I don't like. I don't like those I, either. Exactly. What, you try the, to hug that guy. You're going to slide right off. The 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 uh, my homosexuality manifests itself exclusively in being attracted to twinks. That is not little, a word. That is not a word that I know. Oh, is it like a little Filipino kind of guy? Well, like like a cabana boy. Yeah, like a cabana boy. I get that. Like a Moroccan house. Is he boy. is he kind of tidy and friendly? He's tidy. He's friendly. He smells good. Good cook. Extremely good cook. T W I N K. His hair. His his hair kind of like comes down playfully in front of his oh, eyes. Oh, like a Leonardo DiCaprio thing. Like a like a young Leonardo DiCaprio who is not playing a retarded boy. Pre fat. Okay, and, and twink. Now, well, that- no, you know what? Fat is okay. Like a little chubby little little twink. Uh, that's that. Those are the ones I is always. That, found is that ping pong? Is it twink ping pong? I don't think Twink is ping pong. I, okay. think, I think that is in the in the great gay uh, lexicon. I think Twink is an accepted uh, uh, reference. Is this something where they're only allowed to call themselves that? Well, like uh, like Mexicans. This is one of those things where I feel like I live on Capitol Hill or have lived on Capitol Hill for many yes. years. Oh, your Seattle. mom's house. I want to talk about your mom's house. And I am uh, I'm entitled by by grandfathering mm-hmm. and by uh, oh, right, you know right, by right. having my pinky in enough people's poopers mm. that I can use the lexicon. That's I can very say gentle, I, John. I very yeah. gentle. How do you pick a pinky? How do, you you know what? Actually, you know what? I don't want to know. Pick a pinky. Twinks. Twinks. Uh, crying in 1984. Was that an Olympic thing? The crying of Lot 49. Okay, I got it. Oh, got it right no way. Here. You're saying when I cried in 1984? Have you ever seen... When oh, M- I was a teenager, I cried because some girl was mean. Is that, or, you're saying that's the last time you cried? I don't know. I cried because my because <laughs> my parents yelled at me. The last time I cried, I don't know. What have you ever seen? No, M- I cried when my dad died. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Well, you start talking about crying, and yeah, gonna, I gonna like, get a sad I, I, story. I like that guy. He's fun to be around. He was good. He's a pistol. He was a pistol, and in fact, that's a phrase he would have used. 
He's a pistol. <laughs> and now our listeners are going to think that you're making a silly dad voice, but he sounded like that, but 10 times more. That Merlin man is a real pistol. <laughs> I, I, I like that kid. Uh, okay, so um, lightning round here. Uh, okay, so Tristram Shandy. Did you finish it? No. Keats is Endymion, the long poem. Never no. read it? Infinite Jest. You ever go all the way through? Yeah, I read it. Really? Okay, I want to come back to that Ulysses. Same problem, but, I, but, 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 but more entertaining. Abs- absolutely. Now, have you been through Ulysses all the way? No. Okay. Uh, Andy Warhol's movie Empire. No. Okay. The closest I've gotten with any of these, I've started Ulysses. Them. I did read Keats' Endymion all the way through, which was brutal. Mm. I get partway through Tristram Shandy, and I keep thinking each time, like, how awesome this book is. And mm. then again, somehow I drop it and never come back. I've I read started Beowulf. Ulysses. Beowulf. Now, is that a long one? Yeah. Hmm. Is it, is it in, uh, is that middle, middle, was that in like a, is that a translation or is it all that goofy uh, middle, middle talk? Yeah, middle talk. Is it middle English? Yeah. Hmm. I, I keep thinking I can finish Ulysses and I can't. I can't. I feel like a dumbass. I feel like I, 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 I'm I like Johnny Liberal Arts and I can't finish Ulysses. I keep trying. I keep reading things. That's I, all right. You're not supposed to. It's, it's, it's not think important. It's a, this, here's my thing about all these. Now, the Warhol thing, clearly, that's a test for douchebags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's you, the thing about Ulysses. Mm-hmm. When it was written, it presumed that people had an intimate familiarity with the Bible, Shakespeare, and... Uh, the great, you know, and and uh, Wittgenstein and the great works of man up to that point, right? Mm-hmm. So in order to properly read and understand that book, you have to have you have to have a complete liberal arts education as understood in 1912. Hmm. And none of us do. I mean, I tried to accumulate that kind of education. I tried to acquire it on my own through years of diligent study. And I have... Uh, I have an education that looks like, I mean, I have a completely checkerboard education uh, so that none of the, uh, none of the illusions, none of the, none of the, you know, the, the connective tissue that makes that book a tremendous read for someone like who is completely vested in literature. Mm-hmm. None of that is, is available to me. It just I uh, I'm just glancing off of it. I'm like a pachinko ball going down and sort of like, oh, I get that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think I got that. Was that a reference? Was was that a? I don't even know. What was that a? Was that a reference to Job or was that a reference to Napoleon? I don't understand. And, and you, you go through and you're just like a lot of it is just a lot of it is just word game. It's just game. I, I hate I hate to admit this at this point in my life, but I've. <sighs> I've come to feel that way about the wasteland. Oh. And so, I mean, I, I, I actually, there was a really good class that I did not take. Um, one of my favorite teachers taught at school, which is called literary substrata of the wasteland. Mm. And you do, you know, obviously you read the wasteland and study it and stuff, but you also read the bibliography. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you read, um, you know, uh, Jesse Weston, uh, the grail myth book, you mm-hmm. read, you know, you read every Shakespeare thing that, that's referenced in that. But the funny part is like the weird part is like, I, I like that better as a piece of musicality with, with uh, funny little bits of language and stuff in it. And then he does little crazy voices and stuff when you hear him read it. But the more I learn about exactly what it was that he was aping, Oh, this little Greek bit, the more it just seemed kind of cobbled together. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I know that sounds that sounds awful because I used to love it so much, but now I'm like you're just you're just you're just the guy with a fake English accent showing off sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think a lot of that stuff, a lot of that literature as science was really important at the time, and we live in a world now that is post that stuff. 
So that stuff had to happen in order to free up the the mind, free up the cultural the culture of of literature, so that it could produce, uh, you know, it could produce Don DeLillo or whatever. I'm not sure if that, mm-hmm. I, but but we we live we live in the aftermath of it, and so it isn't strictly necessary that we go back and and uh, participate in the revolution again. We can just be happy that it happened and go on reading detective novels or stories that are interesting or fun. I'm not saying I'm not saying I hate it or something. I'm still saying it's a remarkable remarkable thing. But isn't it kind of funny that like you get this? And I'm pulling this out of my ass, but you know you go through this very structured, great books kind of education. Everybody gets this same sort of Western culture education that they could have something like Ulysses makes sense or the Wasteland kind of makes sense. You at least yeah. get the references, you know. Um, Steinbeck could say like you know all what all that stuff means, I guess. <laughs> but in a weird way, then it becomes sort of an indictment of the very education that you've had. Well, the, the the thing is that colleges append the words "great books" to all kinds of curricula, but no one has the attention to truly have a great books education anymore. Like no one, I, I challenge you to find me a PhD student in literature that has read that has read one fifth of the books that a high school graduate in eighteen seventy had read. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, there just isn't. There isn't the reason to. We don't need to have read all that stuff. And they, the only reason they did at the time was there wasn't anything else to do. <laughs> so we, we, have, we have this whole like, oh, we're giving you a great books education at these universities. And they're not. You can take a film class. You know, you can take a... <laughs> this Henry can, V is all well and good, but I wish we had cable. <laughs> you know, and uh, you, you, we, we just have to accept even as educated people mm-hmm. that there that we cannot just as we cannot go back to a time before you know uh, when uh you know when women didn't have the vote as much as we might want to we also <laughs> cannot go back to a time when people were when 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 the vast majority of people shared the same 20 books when everyone had read the same, any any educated person had read the same twenty books. We can't go back to that. You can't duplicate it. And I feel sorry for those people who are twenty years old, as I was, who really think like that is essential. It is necessary for me to go back and read those twenty books and understand them, in order to be a fully fledged person. Because you spend a lot of time, sort of beating your head up against. Uh, uh, culture that is that the that the important parts of the good parts of have been assimilated into our culture enough that most people you know those references go by and most people don't even know what they are that it's just it's just part I of the I don't you I, think it's kind of a MacGuffin though I mean to 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 reference one of the great works of the last uh, hundred years um, the Karate Kid I mean he uh, gets Danielson to understand how to do these moves with the wax on and wax off. He thinks this guy's just some dumb fuck who's a gardener, right? But what he's teaching him is this repetition um, that ends up benefiting him in a way he didn't want. I think some of the great book stuff, I think people miss the point when they think it's about reading a bunch of white guys. You know, mm. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that's good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, if you, if you don't read a lot of lady authors, you're really going to be missing out. Like, if you don't read To Kill a Mockingbird or whatever, like, you're going to, you know, these are books that you should read. But I think there's something to be said for, like, whether or not you like the gym equipment to just keep going to the gym. And I think getting somebody to a way where they could have a, a place where they could have an intelligent conversation based on how 
having had to digest that much material is not a bad idea. You know, I, I don't know what could replace that. I think it's, I think we get really way off track sometimes with this whole, like, we don't value books anymore. Or, you know, um, you know, it used to be you'd have five books in the Bible and that's all you had. And, or, or for that matter, those douchebags in the, uh, in like the early 90s who were about, you know, who really were like kind of trying to come up with some cultural canon. And then, of course, there's the other side that says, no, there shouldn't be a cultural canon. It's like, I don't fucking care what you do, but just do a lot of it until you're smart. That, the that's that's the, the hard part of that is not that you should sit there and learn your ciphers or what your ciphering, but like, you know, you get good at multiplication because you learn all of those through 100 and eventually you do it long enough and you know how to multiply. Well, this is, this is the, 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 the problem with the Karate Kid analogy is that, what, what, was he an orphan or something? Daniel-san? I, I never watched the Karate Kid. No, Did I think you, it's, it's his mom. I think he, they divorced and his mom had to live in a cheap apartment. Right. He was sad. There was something that he was, was Leah sad. Thompson in that? Who was the girl in that? I have no idea. But God, uh, she was cute. Who was, who was the girl in, uh, in War Games? Oh, Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy. Hmm. She has slightly messed up teeth, which I she find was inti- intoxicating. But in any case, the, the, the myth of the Karate Kid is that any teenage kid... I don't care if somebody's putting cigarettes out on your arm. <laughs> any teenage kid is going to go do chores... For some guy until he becomes a karate expert. It's called being a twink. The the problem now is that I don't think that I don't think there is any depth left. I think everyone has a tremendous uh, tr- tremendous f- familiarity with a with a, an incredibly wide surface of information, and to you know to equate I don't know to 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 expect young people to to have the the mental fitness to to learn anything at depth when there's so much at breadth available i think we just have to we have to reevaluate what being smart is we have to we have to just we have to acknowledge that being smart now is maybe a different thing than it ever that's, that sounds really depressing to me well except it except it's a form of evolution i mean being smart 50 years ago was a completely different thing than it was in 1705. To be smart, smart or literate? I would say the definition of, of being literate is changing. Like literate in the sense of, well, you know, no, are I you able being, to... I think being smart. Because what, what being smart was 50 years ago was having at ready hand in your mind a tremendous uh, encyclopedic knowledge of either one thing or of several things. But now that's completely unnecessary. It's a waste of your brain because all of that knowledge is available on your phone. I look at my phone 600 times a day. Mm-hmm. And what, what good does it do for me to know, uh, you know, the, the, the place names and dates? I mean, it's one thing for me to understand the course of the 30 years war and what its significance is in history. But for me to remember any of the dates or place names is ludicrous. I can, I can find it on my phone in a half a second. And so what we used to be called what we used to call intelligence was in large part just memorization of things and now most of that has been made obsolete. So what is intelligence now? You know, we have to we have to call it the ability to draw together disparate uh, ideas and things across a wide spectrum of knowledge and make sense of them at the center. You know, we have to be able to draw on things and make make and form hubs out in space and say, here's the hub where, you know, where uh, Tom of Finland and, uh, and a MacGuffin 
here's where those things link up. Here's a world in which those things coexist. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to form those hubs, and that is a different kind of intelligence than being able to memorize or being able to, to pass your med school exam. Or, you know, it's a systemic knowledge. It's a, it's, it's a much more sort of biological uh, knowledge. But, I mean, the, the having to read, if you have to read all of the, you know, ancient Greek stuff, if you have to read, you know, all the Roman history stuff, if you, if you sure, that could be a total death march, but it gives you a real context for understanding things about history and relationships. And, and as I've said before on here, I think it's really helpful to understand the stories. You know, I, my, my concern with some of this goes back to how fucked up the educational system seems to be. And, and, and you know, it would be a whole other season of this show to talk about the way kids are tested now, where well, you, here, we have I mean, to teach I, to the test. Believe me, I think every person should read Plato. And I think every person listening to this podcast, if they have not read Plato, they should go get Plato and they should read it because it's all there. Like everything that you are wondering about right now is in Plato. Uh, and if you have read it and understand, I mean, it's very easy to read. That's the thing. Most people don't read Plato. I don't remember. I read, I read all of the major dialogues and I honestly don't remember that much. about. Well, I couldn't tell you which ones are which. I could tell you I, some of the names, but I don't remember what happened I, in them. I think if you went back and read it again, you would find that it was a breezy read. Mm-hmm. It's not like reading Freud. It's like reading, so it's very conversational. Mm-hmm. And really a lot of, a lot of the stuff that, you know, that, Every year, an undergraduate goes, oh, my God, I just had a great, I just had a tremendous realization. And 99% of the time, that realization was already in Plato, and he could have have saved himself the the Domino's pizza that it cost him to use his brain to figure it out. Because it's already written down. Somebody already was there. So, I mean, I'm not against the great books, obviously. But well, you don't... Uh, let me try to give you an angle on what, what I'm actually trying to say here, which, which is that if you take something, imagine this unholy mixture. And, and, and near the center of this, I think you have to put the testing stuff. The testing stuff is if you talk to anybody who's teaching school right now, it's a completely different world than you and I oh, are in. Yeah, the, the, no child left behind and all that kind of nonsense. If you it's want garbage. funding, you know, there's teachers who are out there having to cheat. They're having to, like, basically tell their kids what's on the test in order to, you know, get them to pass. So, I mean, that to me is an elephant in the room. But here's the other part. Like, the imagine- onus has always been on smart kids to educate themselves. Okay, but here's what I'm trying to say. Like, there was a time, and again, there was a time when you could at least count on, at least when I was in public schools as a kid, it might have been the only thing in your life that was a real rock. You might have had, like, a tough home life. You mm. might have had not much to eat, but you could get on a fucking yellow bus and go to school, and there was a meal there for you if you were Some a poor kid. Some tomato soup and a... And it a had a much bigger... Sandwich. Yeah, but it had a much bigger, like a free breakfast. I mean, that had a much bigger role than just trying to just trying to get you to, you know, get George Bush reelected. So, right. all, but here's what, here's what worries me a little bit, is what if you took all the most hollow and pretentious and fucked up and broken and misunderstood pieces of the entire pedagogical culture of the last you know millennium and misunderstood them in such a way that it drained all of them out of what made each you took out of um, each of them what made them special, right? So the great, you know, there's if you took these ideas of like, well, we should all have a common education, or there should be some kind of a bar that we all agree represents this, or you say a teacher should be, you know, uh, you know, like a, like I say, a pedagogical or not didactic, but you become this kind of character that is respected. You take all that, and pretty soon you've got like a, a some fuckhead at a community college who's sitting there and, and thinking that he's Cicero or something. You know, I, I'm just worried that if there's no center to this other than how we get our budget for next year, nobody's going to have any idea what the real purpose of being in that room is. 
And when that happens, I think that's when you get a nation of dumb fucks because you're going to get people gaming the system, much like you, <laughs> and you're going to get people who, who don't even understand why it's great to know the story, why it's great to know that Ernst uh, Rome was gay, like well, why that's such an interesting story. Why, like we say, the founding fathers did not agree on that much of anything, right? But, but, but we already live in a nation of dumb fucks. And part of the Do you problem, take that point at all? Though? Do you get what I'm saying? That if you take I, I, all the bullshit of what education seems like without taking the hard, the difficult, and the interesting part that made it great over time, you, it's a shell. It's a fucking shell. I think it has to be reinvented. You've got... You, you, at, no, at no previous point in history were there 300 million Americans. You cannot educate 300 million people the same way that you would educate 20 million people. You can't, you can't expect that... that the, the definition of what is useful and reasonable for 300 million people to know is the same. You know, uh, when the United States was founded, the number of people, the, the, the 10% of the population was r- actually literate. And it, it, it's, in some ways, it's the toaster problem. After World War II, the, there was this in, incredible influx into, uh, into the American family of... Uh, of labor-saving devices. Oh, we're going to give you the washing machine. We're going to yeah. give you the dryer, and the la- all this labor is. Gonna, you're going to have this- so much. You're going to have so much free time. So much free time, and we are going to create a utopia mm-hmm. where people sit around and write poems and make, uh, you know, and knit sweaters for trees and put, uh, you know, and 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 make uh, cufflinks out of old typewriter keys and sell them on Etsy. Like <laughs> we're going to create this this utopic uh, world, utopian world. Because we're going to have all this free time, and we created all this free time, and people, the vast majority of people, have now spent that time drinking sixty-four ounce Mountain Dews and watching television, and that and that's not a eugenical argument. It's an argument of just like, listen, that's always been the case. There were, there, there, like literacy is not some kind of magic drug that creates, uh, that creates like like philosopher kings out of everyone literacy is valuable and certain you know like a certain percent of the population exploits it and most people it just makes it easier to get around town i i it's you know i'm not i i don't want to like devolve into a demographical like um, well two two things one thing is also i mean i don't know if this is just conventional wisdom that's been exploded but the other side of the washer and dryer thing is it wasn't that mom suddenly got to sit around and eat bonbons and take uh, dexedrine it was that the standard went up the standard went up for what were expected of people that's that's what was not included in the vision of us being living in living in the fucking jetsons where rosie takes care of everything people thought that when the washer and dryer came along or you know now you weren't gonna have to go get ice for your ice box well, you wait, frozen the, stand, the standard of the standard went up only in only if you measure it one way, I mean, people still work. Well, 40 they wanted hours laundry. They wanted. They wanted. They wanted mom doing a little bit of laundry every day. In some cases, mom. Mom used to do laundry. That was Monday. All, Monday was all, you, day. all day. Exactly. Yeah, and then Tuesday was ironing. You know, uh, uh, people still go to work for forty hours a week, mm-hmm. but the amount of time they're actually working mm-hmm. is probably fifteen hours, mm-hmm. and the rest of the time they're. They're they're you know they're fidgeting and uh, playing with their balls. Uh, <laughs> and back back in the old days, you know when people went out to to work, 